your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we're speaking with John Hill from the Treasury. We'll be talking about leadership, why leaders should have a vision. We'll discuss the Treasury's Progress Statement 2018, which is the Treasury's vision for the future of federal financial management, as well as individual qualities a leader should have. So without further ado, here's John. Good morning, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm happy to have with me John Hill from the Treasury. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are you? Very good. A little bit of a cold there, so sorry about the voice, everybody. Um, but John, let's start off. Why don't you, uh, we're going to talk today about vision um, and from a couple perspectives from what the Treasury is doing, uh, but also just as a leader uh, and a government leader, why it's important to have a vision, how to develop one, um, how, to care, how to execute on those. Uh, so why don't we start off with, uh, John, if you don't mind, just give us a little bit about your background, specifically your career, why you, you know, are interested in this topic of vision. Great. Uh, thanks, and I'm glad to be here. Vision is very important, and it, it has always been important to me. Uh, in my current job, I'm the Assistant Commissioner for Financial Innovation and Transformation at Treasury. And in one of our jobs, in fact, our most important job, is to, to really think uh, very deeply about the future and help put the fiscal service and, and, and with us, the entire financial management community uh, of the federal government, on a, on a track that prepares us all for the future and, and developing a vision is a big part of that. Uh, just a little bit about my background. I've been uh, at Treasury in, in one form or another for, for well over 30 years now. Um, started out in the Bureau of the, of the Public Debt, but also worked in the Office of the Secretary, spent uh, the largest part of my career at uh, the U.S. Customs Service, back when that was part of Treasury. I was head of strategic planning there and also at the department for a while. Um, and then came back to Treasury in 09 for TARP and then ended up uh, at, the, at the Fiscal Service. So an interesting career in Treasury and, and, and frankly, in, in all those positions, uh, really emphasized uh, preparing an organization for the future. Right, and I know that Treasury definitely is on the vanguard of a lot of innovative things, and that's uh, you know one thing we're going to talk about right now. Um, so I'm very interested. Let's talk about you know what is so what is Treasury's specific vision? What would you say that is? Uh, it's very simple. Uh, we we looked at the future, and we more importantly looked at the history of Treasury, and and realized that in in thinking about the future, uh, we had to to be consistent with themes of the past, and and throughout the 200 plus year history of Treasury, one fundamental theme that runs through it all is public trust. And, and the, the role of Treasury is to, to strengthen the Americans' trust in, in their government, specifically the, the financial management of the government. So we focused on public trust and identified three really public outcomes we want to strengthen as we look into the future. And one is making sure that the government is an efficient steward of taxpayer dollars. Uh, secondly, that the financial data that's provided by the government and specifically by Treasury, that the financial data is accurate. And then finally, that when the citizen deals with the government on a financial transaction, that transaction is modern, seamless, and secure. So really three public outcomes, efficiency, accurate data, and customer service. So then, you know, how, how did you guys go about developing that? I mean, you know, why, why did you pick those particular areas? You know, how do you develop this vision? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question, and I, and I have to say it wasn't easy. Uh, we did not get it right the first time. 
uh, anytime you, you try to develop a, what we call a North Star, and, and that is really a, a, a objective way out in the, in the future that you're aiming toward, you're, that you're, you're moving toward, um, it, it takes a lot of thought. And, and, and we, when we first started, we, we tried to just put together sort of all the tactical plans we had in, in the fiscal service and really across the government and the financial area and realized that you couldn't put together all these disparate pieces into a single focus. And what we had to do, and I think our, our fiscal assistant secretary gets a lot of credit here, he really asked us to step back and, and to put ourselves in the shoes of the American citizen and what does that citizen expect? And really that, that nudge or that, that direction from, from Dave Liebrick is what, it, what got us going, uh, I think, approaching this challenge the right way, which is to, to really put yourself in the view of the citizen, what does the citizen want from his or her government, and that really is what got us to the vision. Right, and I mean, just from the word itself, vision, you would think this, the, there's a component of the future right we're not just thinking about where we've been with you know where do we need to go and you know how did those concepts kind of come into play um well we did a lot of reading on that and and, and one of the the aspects that we quickly uh, came to was really a data centric future mm -hmm. and, and this is this is very important and it, by the way there's, there's tons of reading on this that that we're really what's happening in financial management frankly it's it's happening in all areas of of, of business and government is how data is changing everyone's job. And, and that we really envision a, a future role for financial managers and CFOs across the government that is very data-centric, where, where the, the CFO really becomes, over the, over the next couple of years, um, the steward of, of the efficiency and the operations of, of their programs, because the CFO is at a point where he, can, he or she can combine financial data with program and performance data and really advise their agency to improve the efficiency and effectiveness of government programs. So, so really freeing up the CFO from, you know, really what is the, the routine and, and more mundane aspects of financial management, providing those services uh, perhaps at Treasury uh, with great efficiency so the CFO of a program can focus on the program outputs and uh, the efficiency and effectiveness of the programs they're managing. Right, and you know, something else I was wondering about was, uh, you know, when you're surveying the landscape, you might see some things that are popping up in technology, trends, you know, how do you know something's not just a fad, it's gonna fizzle out, or should we, you know, hitch our wagon to this, this really is the wave of the future, you know, how do you guys uh, determine those things? Well, we uh, put a lot of thought into that, and uh, I have to have to say, we did engage a, uh, a very uh, a very good firm to help us do a survey of the, the technological landscape, and also do a, do a survey of financial management in the federal government to identify uh, a handful of technologies that that have promise, and uh, I think you've, you're familiar with FIT, and and you know that we've we've identified uh, robotic process automation as a technology area that that really I think has a lot of promise for improving productivity. So ro robotic process automation, um, data analytics, and specifically data analytics as it applies to improper payments, and and how do you apply 
uh, discriminant analysis, uh, data analysis, and all this, the disciplines of data science to tackle this, this rather significant uh, challenge of improper payments. So data analytics is number two. Um, blockchain is, is, of course, farther out into the future, but uh, clearly a, a technology that has the potential, um, if applied properly, to, to make us rethink how we do perhaps reconciliation and, and uh, some of the accounting processes we, we currently do. So blockchain, but again, with, with a, a sort of a careful attitude of let's, let's really understand it first and find the right applications of blockchain. And then uh, also uh, authentication, I mean, how, and identity management. Uh, all of the financial systems that the citizens deal with involve some form of uh, identity management. The, the customer has to authenticate that they are who, in fact, they say they are. And if we can, can come up with a common approach that, that meets all the security requirements, by a common authentication, I think we can do two things that are very important, is create a, uh, a more secure interface and, and protect privacy better. I, I also think you can solve some of the improper payment problem, and also at the same time, improve the customer experience, so common authentication. And then the fifth area is, is the one that I, I think could be the most creative, and that is standards and common processes. And, and how do you move a, a financial management community that's as big as the federal government, that's, uh, you know, comprises perhaps as, as much as 50,000 or 60,000 folks working across hundreds of agencies, how do you move them in a common direction? How do you, how do you come up with common processes and common practices to promote economies of scale, to promote co consistency of experience and all those things. So common processes and standards, um, I think that's an area of great creativity and I think there's an opportunity to apply technology there in, to promote common processes. Right, so we're going to get into some specifics here in a minute, so we're going to delve into, a, you actually have an annual report that really outlines all the major goal areas and uh, where you guys are headed, and uh, so right before we get into that, though, I understand, so this is, um, you know, how does this relate to, like, the President's Management Agenda? Was this developed separately, together with that? How, how did that come about? That's a great question. They actually were developed uh, in parallel, mm. I think is probably the, the right way to say it. Um, it was about the same time uh, when we started working on our vision. Some of the uh, early direction was, was coming from OMB, uh, the, the, the general themes of how do you make government more efficient? How do you, how do you uh, reduce the amount of uh, redundant, low-value work and replace it with high-value work? How do you use data? How do you improve the customer experience? How do you enhance the accountability of the federal government? Those themes were already coming out from the administration, from OMB. Mm -hmm. So when we sat down to work on the vision, uh, those, those themes really in inspired us. And so the net result is the vision, I like to think of it as, is really the application of the President's Management Agenda to financial management. So it's, it's really our interpretation of those uh, broad themes of the PMA applied to financial management. And, and who, who all was involved in, in putting this together? Um, the, the very top of our organization. Uh, this was a, really an experience where our fiscal assistant secretary, uh, the, the deputy assistant secretaries, the, the commissioners and the senior executives at the fiscal service, um, really sat down and invested a lot of time. And by that I mean hours, uh, hours of meetings and, and uh, 
every week grinding away at, at getting the words right, getting the ideas right, was not something that we contracted out at all. In fact, that's an important, maybe a point for, for others as, as they attempt these things. We didn't contract it out. Uh, this was very much an internal experience, an, an internal effort, where everybody at, at these very high levels of the organization invested a lot of, their, of themselves and invested a lot of their thought into the product. Well, great. Well, let's get into a little bit of the nitty-gritty. And uh, for the listeners out there, we're going to post uh, the annual report to our website in the next week or so. Um, but I'd love to get into some of the specific areas. So uh, just to let folks know, we've got four major management goals, correct? So optimizing federal dispersing, transforming federal collections, strengthening financial reporting, and expanding services available to agencies. So why don't we just touch on each of those a little bit, uh, John, and if you could just kind of explain to us what what will those entail, what they include, and the metrics you guys are uh, applying. So maybe we'll start off with federal dispersing. Sure thing. Uh, in, in all these areas, you have to begin and, and really understand the scale of, of federal financial operations. And, and by the way, this is, this is much bigger than the Bureau of the Fiscal Service. This is the entire financial community in the federal government. Um, you know, dispersing, the federal government uh, disperses in excess of $3 trillion a year. Um, Treasury alone, which, who disperses about 85% of all federal uh, payments, disperses uh, over 1.2 billion payments a year. So that's the scale of it. It's the largest single disperser uh, in, in the U.S. economy and, frankly, the economy of the world. Um, so that's the scale of it. And, and our goals in dispersing are very simple, and that is across the board, make that process all electronic from end to end. Um, and what, what does that mean? That means um, squeezing out uh, paper checks everywhere we can because, you know, a paper check is, is at least 10 times more expensive than electronic payment. Um, it's actually easier to, uh, to intercept a, a paper check and, and to do fraudulent things with it. Uh, there's a lot of back office processing with paper checks if they don't go to the right place, which does happen when you disperse millions and millions of paper checks. So to squeeze the paper out of the process, but also to make it electronic at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the government uh, processes uh, on the order of, uh, we believe, 19 million or so uh, invoices every year. Um, those are largely paper-based. That, uh, that's the beginning of, of the dis dispersing process for many payments. If we can get that paper out with electronic invoicing, that's, that's one part of this, uh, this vision of the future. Um, and the, another part of it is to try to centralize dispersing in Treasury uh, even more completely. Um, because Treasury does disperse 1.2 billion payments, it has very advanced systems, uh, huge economies of scale. Uh, and I think those agencies that are still doing their own dispersing, and there, there are a few agencies that st still do their own dispersing, could find that, that Treasury could do it for them uh, cheaper, uh, probably more reliably. And, and free them of that r rather um, uh, back office operation so they can, they can focus on the mission of their agency. Right, and then so, and we're talking about invoice uh, processing platform, IPP, and just getting, that's one of the major things to get a lot of folks onto that, as many as possible. And I, I can vouch for that as, as both a vendor and helping folks implement it. It's definitely a much better process than what we have in place yeah. now. Yeah. So. 
And you know, when we talk about electronic invoicing, you always got to keep in mind that uh, you know there, there are two sides of the of the transaction. I mean, we we talk about the government side and how IPP helps the the agency. Uh, you know, at one point in my life, I was uh, I, I worked in a small business who did business with the government, and, and frankly, uh, paper invoices for the the vendor uh, are, are incredibly uh, you know inefficient and, and, and problematic, and and having an electronic invoicing solution for the vendor, I think, creates more more benefit for the vendor than it actually does for the government. Right. Absolutely. So uh, on to the second goal here. Let's talk about a little bit about federal collections, the things you're, you're all doing in the collection side. Sure, sure. Um, the, the, the Fiscal Service, uh, you know, working with, with federal agencies, collects, uh, you know, in excess of, of $4 trillion a year uh, in various f- forms, both, both tax receipts, of course, but all kinds of fees and duties, charges of various types. And although that's largely electronic, uh, as you'd imagine, there's still an awful lot of paper in that process. And, and, and what that means is to handle that paper, we have to have uh, lockboxes. And the Fiscal Service has uh, dozens of lockboxes for various federal programs. And these lockboxes are, are largely huge paper processing operations um, that are, are rather expensive and uh, naturally inefficient. So one thing we're doing in, uh, in, in the fiscal service is to find electronic solutions um, where a, a citizen making a payment to the government can use uh, online bill pay, uh, perhaps can use a, a payment exchange, uh, you know, PayPal and, and other types of pay, modern payment exchanges like that, to, to, to give the citizen options besides mailing in a paper check. Um, that's another way that does two things. It improves the efficiency of government, of course, but it also, I think, achieves the other public good of a, of a modern uh, customer experience, and so offering those kinds of options. Another thing that, that's part of that uh, goal is uh, uh, what we're calling the centralized receivable service, and that's an, op- uh, an operation offered by the fiscal service where we can help an agency with their collections and, and with uh, collecting uh, non-tax, non-loan receivables uh, in a very efficient way and, and actually getting a higher, uh, higher collection rate from their uh, delinquent debt. Right. Yeah, and I, and I mean, something also with a lot of agencies I've worked with, you know, things like pay.gov, et cetera, you know, just improving the way, you know, people actually enter. So they pay through there, but they also enter a few pieces of information, and then it comes to the agency, and it just, you can post it for you. You don't have to worry about where, where does, what is this money for, where does it go, automates that, makes things quicker, more efficient. So this is all the right direction. Right. And again, this is, this is, is moving uh federal financial management to an all-electronic future, taking advantage of, of, of all these options to, to squeeze the paper out of the process. And that does two things. It, it, it makes it more efficient, of course, but it also improves the quality of data. And, and if you're looking to a, a very data-centric future, having data in a digital form at the very beginning of its life cycle, I think, improves data accuracy. Absolutely. Now, how about on the side of uh, financial reporting? What are some of the things you all are looking at there? Um, reporting is, is a key aspect of, of what the Fiscal Service does and, of course, a, a key aspect of what all CFOs do a, across the government and, and, and probably uh, the area that the greatest change, I think, is going to occur over the next couple of years. And, and there are a couple, uh, a couple of initiatives sort of under this, this goal. 
One, of course, is is uh, Im improving intergovernmental transactions. Uh, I think you're, we're, we're all aware that that uh, intergovernmental buy-sell uh, transactions uh, really are a source of, of some of the discrepancies that prevent the government from getting a clean audit opinion. And, and one aspect of our program here is to uh, provide a, a very modern electronic uh, solution, we're calling it G-invoicing, mm -hmm. um, to, to improve the accuracy of intergovernmental transactions. And we're, we're rolling out G-invoicing over the next couple of years, um, and the goal is to get that in widespread use across the government by 2022. And we believe that uh, achieving uh, you know, an electronic process for intergovernmental differences will will cut down the the buy sell intergovernmental differences and help with a clean audit opinion. And other other areas in strength and reporting is is how we present financial data to the public, and this is important. I think traditionally the the government makes uh, you know, statements available to the public, uh, uh, financial statements for agencies, financial statements for Treasury, and uh, these reports are very important. important accounting documents, but they're not always totally useful for the citizen who wants to really understand how does the government spend its money, perhaps how does it spend its money in my neighborhood or in my community, and to offer really m more modern, more interactive ways for the citizen to use financial data. I think uh, we're seeing a lot of popularity around usaspending.gov. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, there are hundreds of thousands of uh, visits to that site every year. Uh, clearly, it's satisfying a public need for the citizen to, to get financial information about the status of their government and the status of the government's finances, and continuing to strengthen the quality of that data and really the, the flexibility with which citizens can interact at that site. Um, so really improving, strengthening um, USA spending. In that area, uh, what we're proposing to do by uh, later this year, 2019, is to offer a citizen's guide uh, to the federal uh, finances. And the citizen's guide will be a plain English presentation of financial data, not just expenditures, but where revenues come from and, and, and the state of the public debt, in, in a way that is uh, very modern, uh, very uh, web-based, uh, very very familiar to, to folks who, who now get their information from the internet, um, to sort of present data in a, in a way that is very different than a very traditional bound financial report. So that's one aspect of it. Um, and another area where we're exploring is uh, simplifying the trial balance audit uh, using GTAS data. I think uh, many agencies are familiar with GTAS and, and how powerful the data is that, that is both submitted through GTAS and how it's now assembled in GTAS. That really, when used properly and, and effectively, can simplify the, the, the audit process, and, and we're looking at ways of, of simplifying audits, making those more efficient, perhaps reducing the, the time commitment to doing audits, but keeping that very important audit control in place using GTAS data. So that's all about financial reporting. And again, you know, we call it financial reporting, but this is a big part of this data-centric future that, uh, that we talked about earlier. Right, I want to hit on a little bit on um, you know robotics process automation. I know that kind of maybe spans across a couple different areas, but um, 
No, I, I think you said you've seen that increase on the increase and uh, something that's probably something that might be more viable for, for agencies. What, 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 are you, what have you seen as far as RPA is concerned? Uh, we've done more than, than look at it. Okay. Uh, we've, we've uh, at, at the fiscal service, uh, have uh, applied it, and it, it's now uh, in production at our uh, ARC at the Administrative Resource Center. Um, and we've just seen that it has the potential, and not just the potential, it has the actuality of improving efficiency by as much as 30 to 50 percent. Uh, and, and frankly, I think that's the low end of the scale. I think once we really continue to apply it, we might even see higher rates. And the reason is, um, you know, as we discovered at ARC and, and I think other agencies, NASA, of course, is, is very far advanced in, in RPA, and, and so is Interior and National Science Foundation are exploring RPA as well, that, you know, many of our accounting operations, because we use ERPs, um, Many of our accounting operations are, are very well defined um, and, and high, in many cases high volume and really perfect candidates for the application of RPA. I mean, that's what we found at ARC, that, that there's certain aspects of a rec the reconciliation processes, certain aspects of, of invoice processing. Many of these um, accounting operations are, are high volume, uh, very rules-based. Um, highly repetitive, so when you can apply RPA to those, you, you really do two things. You, you speed up the process, which is a good thing, improves efficiency, but it does something a lot more than that that I think is very important from a human point of view. It, it, it frees up the, the employee from these, these routine tasks, so that employee has the time to, to really focus on higher value tasks, so instead of just pounding in invoices or doing some task over and over again, that employee can, can use their, their knowledge, their experience, their intellect to, to perhaps find suppliers who, who offer um, you know, higher quality services or, or, or finds trends in data that suggest uh, where, where more efficiencies can be gained. So we're taking sort of the low value task and, and replacing it with high value tasks and that, by the way, that's that's very consistent with the president's management agenda. Right, and uh, for listeners out there, we we have at least one other RPA podcast coming up. We're really going to deep dive into that, so uh, look forward to that. Um, so let's talk about the, the the fourth and the final objective here, goal. Um, this is about expanding your services to other agencies. Um, yes, the, the 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 final goal area is 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 shared services, but, but I, I would rather use the word economies of scale. And, and that is, how do you move this, this large federal financial management community to economies of scale? Uh, that's what shared services are all about. And sometimes we, we get into these, these very uh, almost ideological discussions about shared services, and I think we, we, we'll stop that if we can start thinking, what's the outcome we're trying to achieve? And the outcome we're trying to achieve is economies of scale. How do, you, how do you move financial operations and consolidate things so you put all so high volume applications and, and operations together to achieve economies of scale? And the reason that's important is because we, we now operate in this world of, of, of rather expensive IT systems with all the maintenance and, and uh, upkeep associated with IT systems, if you can consolidate transactions, you can spread the, the, the cost of that capital over a larger number of transactions and reduce unit costs. So that's what this is all about. And 
our goal here, again, focused only on ARC, and that is the, the fiscal services shared service operation, but I think it's generalizable, is to achieve $600 million of cost avoidance cumulatively by the year 2023. And, and that really, I think that number, $600 million of cost avoidance by 2023 uh, is, is one, one, it's an audacious goal, but, but also it, it shows the power of economies of scale, uh, that, that when you begin to consolidate things, you, you can achieve enormous savings because you're, 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 you're spreading license costs over higher transaction volume, you're spreading human capital over a large transaction volume. You're getting those efficiencies that really translate it into significant savings for the taxpayer. Well, great. Now, let's, uh, I think we have a few minutes left here. I really want to shift to the topic of uh, not just vision of the Treasury, but just as a government leader in general, you know, some things that uh, you might want to think about as far as having a vision. And, you know, I mean, why, why would you say in general vision is important for, for a government leader, for a government organization? I, I think vision is more important now than ever. And there are a couple reasons for that. And, and these are, are reasons that, that transcend Treasury. One is think about why our employees, and by that I mean public employees, federal employees, but also state and local employees, why do they become public employees in the first place? It, it, all the surveys say, but frankly we all have the anecdotal experience, we become public servants because we are motivated by the public good. That, that we want to serve our community, our city, our state, our nation. And I think a vision is a way of connecting that sense of public spirit that motivates all public employees. It connects them to their job. And, and I, I think that's really the, the power of vision. I think it's also very important when we think of the, the new employees coming into public service. Uh, I've been looking at some survey data lately and, and uh, the, the millennial generation, and I can say that because I have three millennial kids, um, they, they want uh, their, their, their careers to be important. They're actually more public service motivated than, than, than perhaps other generations, uh, interestingly enough. And, and I think that when we try to bring and, and motivate millennials in, into public service, Having a vision for your organization is, I think, very important for motivating these, these employees. All employees, of course, but uh, millennials uh, as well. So I think that's important. Uh, let's talk about technology for a minute. Yeah. Um, when you look at what's going on in financial management, in the fintech, financial technology, I think all work processes are going to be transformed over the next couple of years. And we can already see it, right? The, the application of robotics, the application of of modern payment uh, solutions, the application of, of uh, perhaps blockchain, the application of artificial intelligence, work processes are going to change radically. And, and, and the frequency of this change is increasing. That's, that means we have to have a longer term view about what we're trying to achieve. And, and I think if you have a vision that is constant, you can say, okay, we, we do these things to improve stewardship, to improve efficiency. We do these things to improve customer service. We do these things to improve the accuracy of data. 
those kind of constant uh, goals that are out in the future make it easier to absorb this technology and apply it correctly. So I think technological change um, and, the rep and the speed of it uh, requires us to have a vision that, that is, is constant and, and a couple of years out in the future. So vision is, is incredibly important. Um, and with just to say, I mean, with technology and things are constantly changing, disrupting, I mean, you, you have to basically embrace and know that you're going to have to constantly keep changing and keeping up with this stuff, right? I mean, you right. can't just fight against it. Right. I mean, and, you know, you, you, you think about the, the past, and in fact, not even the, the long ago past. There was a time where, where things were so constant and, and unchanging that if you knew a certain system, call it the XYZ system, that expertise would, would, would serve you well for a number of years, right? You, if you knew the XYZ system, you, you could apply that knowledge and use that knowledge and build on that knowledge for perhaps 10 years. No longer the case, right? I mean, there, there are new solutions coming out, it seems like every other year. So, um, so with that, that change in work process, having a constant vision of what you, really answering the why question, why do we do a certain thing? Uh, having that constant, I think, helps uh, helps keep everyone moving in the same direction. Right. I mean, I think we do see government adopting to, to new technologies. I mean, mobile apps, uh, et cetera. I mean, th you know, it's not like uh, it's not happening, but it's going to be even more and, and faster. So this is just something you have to have that viewpoint going forward. Right. So, well, John, well, thanks again for joining us today. I think this was a great podcast. Um, Really, uh, maybe give us one more uh, bit of information where folks can get more, you know, more information about about the Treasury's programs, a uh, website or sure. Uh, the website is fmvision.fiscal.treasury.gov. Uh, we're, we're putting a lot of blogs out there, but but also this this annual report that we're calling the progress statement is out there, or vision documents and and, and related documents are all at fmvision dot fiscal dot treasury dot gov great and we'll put those links on AGA's site as well so john thanks again for joining us thank you that's our show thanks for joining us we're going to put a link on our AGA website to the treasury's uh progress statement the vision statement so look for that and you can get more details on what we discussed today and of course agacgfm.org to visit all our podcasts if you have any suggestions, please send us a note. We'll be happy to uh, get together a podcast with your suggestions. So until next time, this is Paul Marshall signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA. <laughs>